Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, Adis JV3. And I'm hoping that you're enjoying the Equity in Action series. I, I don't think it's ever going to end at this point. I mean, between the people who have responded to call for features, the folks who have just reached out and said, hey, I got an idea. I think this might just become an ongoing thing. So I think we can go ahead and get used to it. On today's episode, we're going to do a deep dive into higher education. And specific to higher education, we're talking about the study abroad experience. I didn't think I was going to have this opportunity, especially after undergrad. Um, Financially, it was just out of place. And I didn't have the correct mindset to appreciate the full study abroad experience. Now, all of that shifted when I got to graduate school. And I had two opportunities to go abroad. The first in Oaxaca, Mexico. The second in Ghana. I spent a little bit of time at East Lagoon, a little bit of time in Accra, and a little bit of time at Kumasi. And what really attracted me to this experience was the fact that it wasn't just a vacation. It wasn't just going overseas to go try new foods and be stuck on a resort all day. When I was in Mexico, I actually got to spend some time at a nonprofit in assisting them with some some operations things, nothing, nothing too major, but getting to spend time with the children and spend time with the locals and finding out what mattered to them. And it taught me a new appreciation for global organizing, for global social work. You know, we're talking about international experiences and the same thing with Ghana. You know, I was over there for four weeks and was able to not fully immerse myself in the culture, but I was familiar enough to, to know what was going on around me. So today's feature, so today's guest is an expert in this space. You know, he's identified the keys to increasing access for students of color when it comes to study abroad experiences and making sure that they do have this opportunity and this experience. And so today I'm elated to introduce you all to Dr. Christopher Daniels, Dr. Daniels, you want to introduce yourself to the folks listening? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. My name is Dr. Christopher Daniels. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, My educational background, I went to FAMU, Florida A&M University, and I did my bachelor's and my master's there in history and history education. And then I did my PhD at Howard University in African studies. So I had the HBCU experience. So I spent a lot of time, you know, around that and I think, I think that that's a big part of my background and why I'm so passionate about, you know, diversity and inclusion, because I see the power of it, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of very quality, very talented, you know, African-Americans out there who may or may not have the same opportunities. And, and also in particular, the institutions don't have the same resources that some other institutions have as well. So that's kind of, you know, some of the things that, that, that are in my background. I'm a professor, so I, I teach international relations and also world history as well. And I have a nonprofit that does cultural immersion experiences all over the world. So we've taken groups to South Africa, Dubai, Egypt, Thailand, Colombia, China, so many different places, you know, just to help African-Americans and not just students, but students, staff, faculty, alumni as well, help them see the world and help them to learn more about, about, about what's out there and the opportunities that, that exist for us outside of America. So before we get into the the heavy stuff, I have to ask the question that I know all of my listeners are thinking. 
is Howard University the real HU? Howard is the real HU. <laughs> okay. Without any doubt. <laughs> There's only one Mecca, especially now that, that we're about to have the vice president of the United States. There's only one. <laughs> only There's one. Only one. Nah, I hear that. So how about you define for, for the listeners what cultural immersion is? Because, you know, to the untrained ear, that might just mean I went to go study abroad. I tried some different food. But what does that really mean? So cultural immersion is this. So I always say, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words and a trip is worth a thousand books. Right. So you can read and you can study as much as you want. However, when you actually get a chance to visit that particular country, you get a chance to see things that you never saw, right? So cultural immersion is basically going to that country and living like the locals live. So it's not going like to the tourist resort. You ever see those sandals commercials? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Waited on hand. That is not cultural immersion, right? <laughs> so cultural immersion is living as close, you know, as reasonably possible to how a local person would live and getting their experience and seeing the country from their eye, not from the controlled eye that you typically have within a tourist situation. So that's, that's kind of the difference between cultural immersion and tourism. Both of them are great. You know, tourism is good. Cultural immersion is also good. But the difference is cultural immersion, it takes you outside of your comfort zone. So it forces you to do things that may or may not be comfortable. So visiting, you know, places that aren't maybe everything perfect, everything this, everything that. So take us back to your first cultural immersion trip, right? You know, what was that experience like? And where was it? So... I'll talk about the first one I did and then the first one I took a group on. My first cultural immersion trip was actually a wedding in Nigeria. So one of my buddies, he, um, he married a girl who was, who was Nigerian. And we went to Nigeria for, I think, about three weeks for his wedding. So I got a chance to see, like, kind of all the traditions of, you know, him going and meeting with the family and giving the family presents and, you know, just all the, all the little traditions yeah. that come along with that. Um, and then, you know, seeing the actual traditional, the traditional wedding and then the actual church wedding after that. So that, that was my first kind of cultural immersion experience. The first time that I did one where I took a group was I took a group to South Africa, South Africa, Lesotho and Eswatini, right? So those are all in Southern Africa. So I took a group out there for about three weeks and they learned about, you know, culture, the history, the politics. They got a great experience um, to, to learn a lot about the country. So I can only imagine what it's like in planning for a cultural immersion experience, because we're talking about taking people who may have never left the country, who have these preconceived notions about different cultures and different experiences, different backgrounds and walks of life. So how difficult is it when we're introducing this concept and talking about embracing new things and being open minded and taking an appreciation for cultural diversity. So I can only imagine for something as broad as cultural immersion that topics like cultural diversity have to come up. So what is that process like when students get to a new place perhaps for the first time and having to see and embrace cultures different than what they're familiar with? Right. So it's, it, can be, it can be hard, right? So America is a very isolated place and depending on what part of America you're from. So, you know, certain people, if maybe if you're from like New York, or some of the bigger cities, you, you've had, you know, some good exposure to other cultures. But, you know, most people in America, you know, are not that familiar with other cultures. So it can be a shock at first. So the, the biggest shock, obviously, is the language. If English is not the dominant language of that country, that's definitely something that's a shock. 
access to the internet is the hugest thing, you know, the biggest thing that always causes the, you know, a, a major shock for a lot of people because in America, we're so used to having unrestricted access to the internet. When you go to other countries, is is not always like that, right? So okay. just having that, and then also, um, you know, not having that 24 hour culture. So, you know, here, look, any time of night, I can go to the Walmart, I can go to McDonald's, I can go here. You know, you go to other countries, things are closed at eight and, and that's it, you know? So yeah, j- j- just kind of getting used to that is, is something that's always a challenge. Like I referenced in the intro, I spent about a month in Ghana and the things that we take for granted here in the U.S. definitely evident once I landed over there, you know, having to go to the mall to access the internet or to buy those phone cards where you get, you know, just a little bit of data to last you until the next time you have to get some more and just that disconnect is completely different. You know, you, you get used to, I mean, these are all obviously first world problems. You get used to being able to do your own laundry in the washing machine or water pressure, which is something I never thought I would be so happy to be able to take a, a shower with full force behind me. But those, those are real things that first time travelers might have some difficulty in embracing. And you know, you know what's crazy is, you know, in, in a lot of these countries, unfortunately, their their internet is more expensive even than ours. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, they're obviously, you know, with the exchange rate and whatnot, making much less money than we're making in America. However, they're paying way more for internet, which is just insane. But, you know, this is how it is right now. So let's talk a little bit about equity, right? And how it shows up in some of this culturally immersion experience. There's a lot of different ways to look at it, right? So there's the first component of equity. So the first component of it is just a more diverse pool of people traveling, right? So having more women, having more African-Americans, having more, you know, other um, minority ethnic groups traveling, that is the first step. And that's, that's a big step. But the second step is using more minority vendors as your suppliers in, in the supply chain. So for example, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people will go to, to visit a country, but the hotels they stay on, stay in are not owned by, you know, black people or the hotels they stay in are not owned by women mm-hmm. or the tour company they use is not, you know, woman owned. So you're not having much of an economic impact on that community and you're not really helping to build diversity and inclusion and equity because you're not supporting them with your dollars. You know, I really appreciate the fact that you bring up equity in a financial standpoint, because we often think about equity and as far as resources, making sure that everybody has exactly what they need, but we never, or we don't as often talk about the financial aspect and making sure that there's opportunity for groups that don't typically receive funding or don't typically get used as a service they, they have a fair shake in participating or that they're they're represented in the supply chain the key thing of the, the thing that gives equity and inclusion some bite is when you put your dollars behind it so that's one thing that that that, that i've made an emphasis and not one thing in particular that i wanted to do through motherland connect was that make sure that as many of our suppliers as possible are women-owned or minority-owned because all of our all of our customers are women and minorities so why, why should we take our money uh, and give it to someone else, right? We should be using our funds to empower, you know, people in, in our similar groups. And that's really how you build equity is when you start when you start being intentional about making sure that you spend your dollars with certain people. 
it's easy, you know, being in Africa. You can go to Africa and not spend any money with Africans. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you can go to a British-owned hotel, British-owned restaurant, British-owned this, British-owned and you, you've been in Africa for a month and ain't spent one dime with, with, with your brothers and sisters and stuff, or maybe bought some kente cloth from the from the market or something. The market that you haggled down to like two dollars. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it's very important to make sure we use you know uh, our vendors. So you mentioned Motherland Connect. What is that exactly? So Motherland Connect is a nonprofit organization that that does cultural immersion experiences. All right. So we've done over the past few years, we've taken over about 500 people to various places around the world, to Egypt, to South Africa, to uh, London, to Thailand, Thailand, China, you know, just lots of different places. And primarily the majority of the people who travel with us are from HBCUs. Mm. So we have a lot of people from FAMU, a lot of people from Clark Atlanta, a lot of people from Howard, a lot of people from uh, Morehouse and Spelman, North Carolina A&T, Hampton, shout out to Hampton, even though I said they're not the real HU, but we still, we, we still rock with them because they rock with us, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, so, uh, you know, but, and then also, you know, kind of friends, friends and family, you know, uh, faculty and staff and people from those different schools as well. So, you know, mainly people who have some sort of ties to historically black colleges. Um, it's not exclusive to that, but that's, that's just kind of the market that we, that we uh, initially went after. And the main reason why is because a lot of bigger study abroad companies don't really market the HBCUs. So, so you know, we saw kind of saw the void there, and we said, "Look, students at historically black colleges need the chance to travel as well. So, why not? You know, why, why not reach out and, and 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 you know create enjoyable experiences that people can learn a lot from and benefit a lot from." The folks listening know that I attended PWIs for my entire higher education experience, and. We know that there's an abundance of wealth when it comes to these colleges and universities. And unfortunately, we, we see the exact opposite when it comes to our historically black colleges. Could you describe some of the other barriers that you're facing when it comes to engaging universities and students for study abroad and, and cultural immersion? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very di- this is very difficult. You know, um, in our community, a lot of people have not traveled. So you would just be shocked how many people don't have a passport. Mm-hmm. So the biggest challenge is getting people to get their passports. Obviously, finances is always always a challenge. So what what we do is, you know, we, we, we really work with people. We work hard to keep our rates very, very reasonable so people can afford it. And the biggest thing we do to kind of overcome those challenges is we promote our trips about a year, uh, almost about a year ahead of time. And we allow people to kind of make payments over time. Yeah. And what we found was that, you know, just doing that really helps more people to, to one, know about the opportunity and two, you know, kind of be able to be able to make it in incremental steps to be able to go on the trips. And I'm sure that makes a significant difference for folks who can participate, who are like on the edge and just need additional, you know, an additional lever to make things easier. So you've you've entered into this additional system. And when we talk about systems thinking and engaging in systems change, you know, you're interacting with quite a few. We're talking higher education, we're talking finance, we're talking travel. And so what is it like to navigate through those different systems? And how do you, how do you maintain and manage that? You know, it it is, it's tremendously challenging. And it's just because I have years of experience doing it, right? So, you know, sometimes, sometimes people don't realize, you know, when you're planning a trip, you're dealing with different time, time zones, 
you're dealing with different currencies, you're dealing with different laws, you're dealing with a lot of different things that go behind the scenes when you talk about trying to plan a trip. So, you know, the key thing is to have a good, solid team of people working with you. I think that's the biggest thing. So a lot of times, you know, uh, when people want to kind of take on initiatives, they want to do it all by themselves. And this is just something that you can't, you cannot do by yourself. You have to have a great team. Um, you know, so I work with a lot of people, whatever country we go to, always make sure I have a friend or someone there on the ground who can help, you know, with the kind of, with, with a lot of the day-to-day -day planning, with the itinerary, with other logistics, and in any emergency situation as well. So just, just making sure that you have a good, strong network in country, and then also a good, strong network on this side, that helps pretty much get rid of most of the obstacles. So if we could look into the future of Motherland Connect, of cultural immersion, how will you know that you've achieved what you set out to do? I'm really curious as to what the long-term goals are for you and your nonprofit. I would love, you know, I would love at some point, you know, before if it's possible to take a million people to Africa, right? Now, that's a lofty, that's a lofty goal, you know, but, but why not, you know? Why not dream big? You know, I'd love, to, I'd love to take a million people to Africa at some point, or if not me personally, obviously, you know, just me or through affiliates or through, you know, other people and just, just take everybody back because you think about it, look, it's 40 million African-Americans. Why shouldn't all of us at, at one point in our life go to Africa, right? That's our origin. That's where we come from. Mm -hmm. So even though a million is obviously a lot of people, it's not, that's not even, you know, 1% of the amount of African-Americans in this country. So if only, let's say 10% of African-Americans have a desire to go to Africa, that's still 4 million people. So, so there's a big opportunity um, you know, to, 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 to create that opportunity for people who wanna see the Africa, or not just Africa, also other places throughout, throughout the world. I think one, one thing that, that I also like to emphasize is that you know, there's, there's people of African descent all throughout Central America, all throughout, you know, South America, you know, many different places throughout the world. Um, you know, a lot of people last year when we did a trip to Colombia around this time, matter of fact, around this time last year, we took a group to Colombia and we went to some of the, you know, Afro-Colombian communities. And, you know, it was a really, really, really nice experience to see, because some of them had went with me to South Africa. So they got to see, okay, you know, their culture is not that much different than African culture. So they were able to retain a lot of that culture, even despite what happened, you know, with slavery and other things like that as well. Dr. Daniels, we're, we're preparing to close, but I do want to ask, is there anything or any idea that you really want to drive home? I mean, cultural immersion is an invaluable experience because it sets you apart, not just on a resume, but it sets you apart in the, your lived experience. So what are a few takeaways that you want to give our listeners? It's just, it's just really important that everyone, everyone should travel. All right, everyone wants to see the world. And it's not just about vacation, it's about seeing what's out there for you, right? You know, we're, we're, we're entering into a more and more global society. There's gonna be a lot more international opportunities. So when you travel, you not only get a chance to, you know, have fun and, you know, vacay and this, that, and the other, you may end up seeing, okay, maybe I can work over here. Or maybe I can open a business. Or maybe I can live here and work remotely. You know, now the, the possibility of us all working remote is so real because of what happened with COVID. You might say, well, listen, if they got good Wi-Fi, I might want to go work in one of these countries for a year or so, you know, work remotely, you know? So there's just a lot of opportunities, but you have to create those networks and the best way to create those networks is through travel. Dr. Daniels, I appreciate the time. 
but I also want to make sure that people have an opportunity to reach out to you, learn more about Motherland Connect. How are people uh, keeping up with you? Right. So um, on Instagram is Motherland Connect underscore. And then um, our website is www.motherlandconnect.org. So you can check us out. And also on Facebook, um, Motherland Connect underscore as well. So, though, and then on Twitter, Motherland Con. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can check us out. Check us out on any of those. Um, my personal Instagram is Chris Daniels1887. So, either connect with me or connect with the Motherland Connect page, and we'll be glad to, you know, help you, um, help you to get, get, get done what you want to get done. Thank you, Dr. Daniels. And thank you to our listeners out there. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And I'm looking forward to the content for next week. I mean, we are moving along at speeds that are unrealistic, but we are book busy and blessed. As always, I'd like for you to follow us on social media. That is on Instagram at the at Equity Matters podcast page. We've got a growing subscriber base. Continue to share the episodes. I think every episode somebody gets something out of it. There's always gems that we reflect on and Equity Matters Essentials. And I'm just excited for what we're doing. I'm really appreciative for the people who participate, the people who listen, and the people who encourage. It's, it's, been a, it's meant a lot to me. And so as we continue to do the work and continue to support the people who need it, you already know Equity Matters. Equity Matters.